Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, just before Israel entered the promised land, God gave the word to Moses for the people of Israel. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And I want to preach the faithful God. The faithful God is here today. Amen. You may be seated. The faithful God. Looking at the context just before Israel entered the land of Canaan, the land of promise. God knew his people would face the pressures of a pagan culture. Not in some ways like what we face today. Because the people of the land of Canaan served many different gods. The philosophy of that day was... Every mountain had a God, every valley, every river, every land. If you wanted to prosper in that land, if you wanted your crops to grow, your flocks and herds to multiply, then you needed to worship the gods and goddesses of the land, the gods and goddesses of fertility, gods such as Baal and goddesses such as Ashtaroth, Chemosh, Dagon, Molech, on and on. And so when God's people would enter that land, they would face this temptation to conform, to worship the false gods. And that's why in the preceding chapter, Deuteronomy 6-4, we find this classic statement of Scripture. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And we still believe that today. There's only one true and living God. He's the only one we should worship. He's the only one that we should love. In that context, then, the next chapter identifies the true God in contrast to all the false gods. The true God is the faithful God. So there might be many gods so-called as far as the world is concerned. But the way you can tell the true God from all the false gods, the true God is the faithful God. The faithful God. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be faithful? To be faithful means loyal, steadfast, trustworthy, true, someone who always keeps his word, someone you can depend on, someone you can put your faith in, and you will not be disappointed. Unfaithful, the opposite, the book of Proverbs talks about an unfaithful person, says an unfaithful person is like a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. Think about that for a minute. If you're sitting in the chair, let's say you have a sprained ankle or broken foot, well, it may not really bother you at that moment. You're just sitting there taking it easy. But when you stand up and put your weight on it, it fails. So unfaithful is this. When you don't need it, it's okay. It's only when you really need it that it's a problem. So your broken tooth may not really bother you until you bite down on the apple. Then you know you have a problem. So the unfaithful friend, now the unfaithful friend will be there most of the time. 
So when you're throwing a party, the unfaithful friend will be there. When you're taking everybody out to lunch, the unfaithful friend will be there. The unfaithful friend will be there most of the time. It's just when you need help, the unfaithful friend is nowhere to be found. It's just when you're in need. It's just when you're desperate that the unfaithful person suddenly is no longer available. He's always been there when you didn't need him. But just when you need the most, he lets you down. And that's the way it is with the gods of this world. Now, you might say, Brother Bernard, you know, here in Indianapolis, we don't have a lot of Baal worshipers, so I don't know where you're going with this. But don't fool yourselves. The people of Indiana have their gods. Because anything that would prevent us from serving the true God, in effect, has become our God. So there are lots of people, they can't be bothered to come to church on Sunday because... They've got pleasure. They've got hobbies. They may not be wrong in themselves, but when that takes precedence over worshiping God, that has become their God. Some people pursue money, material possessions, careers, social status, and they, can't, they don't want to live a holy life because that would interfere with their pursuit of other goals. Some people are not willing to be baptized in Jesus' name because it's contrary to their church tradition. In effect, these traditions or pleasures or money or materialism or their philosophy of life has become their God. Now, here's the thing. When everything is going well, it may seem that your God, your philosophy, your way of life is working out just fine. So you got a good job. You got money in the bank. You got insurance. You got a retirement plan. If something goes wrong, you can Draw money out of savings and take care of it. You can go to the doctor and insurance will cover it. You, you, for every contingency, you've got it covered. So it seems like your philosophy is working out just fine. Your pursuit of money is paying off. Everything is going great. But the test of a God or a philosophy or a way of life is not when everything's going well. Because even unfaithful God seems to be blessing you when everything's going well. But what happens when the economy crashes? What happens when you lose your job? What happens when the doctor looks at you in the eye and says, there's no hope, there's no further treatment? What happens when your marriage is in trouble? What happens when one of your kids is on drugs or in jail? What happens when there's a terrible automobile accident? What happens when there's the unexpected phone call that changes your life? What happens during the trials of life? Most of all, what happens at the moment of death? What we will find is all the gods of this world are unfaithful. All the money in the world cannot buy you peace of mind. All the pleasures of life cannot satisfy the soul. Everything else that we would pursue or rely on or serve or worship or prioritize cannot help you with the real trials of life. I'm here to tell you there's only one God who's faithful in the good times and the bad times. There's only one God who's faithful when you've got lots of money and when you don't have any money. There's only one God who's faithful when you're sick or when you're healthy. There's only one God who can bring you through all the trials of this life. There's only one God who can bring you into eternal life. He's known in the Old Testament as Jehovah. 
but he has been revealed in the New Testament, in the flesh, as Jesus Christ, who is, Hebrews says, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the faithful God. Oh, let's worship him right now. Let's praise him right now. He alone is worthy. He is the faithful God. Hallelujah. The faithful God. Let me share a few ways in which our God is faithful. Hebrews 11.6 is a well-known verse of Scripture. It's the great chapter of faith. And it makes a simple statement, but profound statement. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, the first part of the verse says, you must believe that God is. You must have faith in God. I'll hasten to add, if you're not sure, if you'll simply pray an honest prayer. And I've challenged people over the years, agnostics, atheists, and I've seen this happen. I've personally baptized them and laid hands on them or seen them receive the Holy Ghost. If you're not even sure if there is a God, if you'll just say, Lord, honestly, sincerely, if you're there, I want to know you. If you're real, I want to know the truth. If what these people have is real, I want it. I want whatever you have for me. Now, you can't dictate how God will answer. It will not be how you want. You can't make him do anything. But if you'll humbly submit that prayer to him, God will find a way to reveal himself. Because not, God's not trying to send people to hell. God's trying to reveal himself to people. But you have to start with faith. In fact, I would say from start to finish, we're saved by faith. Nobody's ever going to be saved by good, their good works. The only way you're going to be saved, you can't brag and boast of how good you are, how you've lived a holy life for so many years, how your family's in the church. The only thing you can brag about is that Jesus died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again. That's your hope of salvation. So we must come repenting. Surrendering to God. That's the essence of faith. Not, not depending on ourselves, but humbly confessing our sins and depending on God. When we're baptized in Jesus' name, that's not our good works that saves us. The water doesn't wash away our sins. The, the pastor doesn't wash away our sins. Jesus washes away our sins. It's all about having faith in Jesus. When you're filled with God's spirit, that's a gift. By definition, it's not something you buy or earn. It's something God freely bestows upon you because you open your heart in faith. And thereafter, you live a holy life. We don't live a holy life in order to earn our way to heaven. We can never do that. You can never be saved by listing 100 rules. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't curse. I dress modestly. I pay my tithes. I come to church. That's not going to save you. There are honest-hearted Muslims that live a very conservative lifestyle and dress very modestly. That doesn't mean they're saved. We don't live holy in order to get saved. We live holy because we are saved. It's God working in us. Now, if we reject God's work, then we're no longer living by faith. And yes, that does question our relationship with God. But the point is, it's the relationship of faith that transforms us from start to finish, we're saved by grace through faith. Now, the second part of the verse, you must believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. 
Simply put, you must believe that God is faithful. God is not biased, prejudiced, arbitrary, capricious. You don't have to twist his arm to get him to do something for you. You don't have to get on his good side. You don't have to make deals with him. God is faithful. And my first point here is God is faithful to save. He will save literally anybody. It doesn't matter who you are. If you will come to God seeking him diligently, if you'll come to God repenting of your sins, I have an assurance for you. You can be saved. Anybody in this room can be saved today. Anybody can have your sins washed away today. Anybody can receive the Holy Ghost today. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're black, you're white, you speak English, you speak Spanish. I don't care your past life of sin. I don't care your addictions, your habits, your bondage, your alternative lifestyle. If you'll come to God humbly confessing your sin, God will meet you right there. God will give you a new life. How can I be so sure? Because God is faithful. That's the kind of God he is. God keeps his word. He doesn't have respect to persons. God is faithful to save. What a message of hope. That means the church must be open to everybody. The church must represent everybody in society coming to the Lord. You say, what if somebody comes to church in a non-Christian lifestyle, adultery, fornication, homosexual conduct. What do we do? What do we do if a couple comes in that's obviously living in violation of what the Bible says? How do we treat them? Well, I'll I tell you how to treat you. Hello, my name is John. What's your name? Glad to have you here today. You know, sick people need to go to the hospital. Sinners need to go to the church. Why wouldn't we want them to come to church? This is the place where their life can be changed. This is the place where they'll tr hear truth. This is the place where they will find deliverance. We serve the faithful God. He can save to the uttermost. He can save anybody and everybody if only people will believe. God is faithful to save. I'll tell you a story. My wife and I started church in Austin, Texas, 1992. We started in our home, and then we moved to a rented building for four years. Then we built our first building, then our second building, then the third building. I was in the middle of doing that when I got elected as general superintendent, so I had to quit that and turn it over to Pastor Shaw. I felt kind of sorry for him because he was in charge of a what turned out to be a $15 million building program and uh, an auditorium to seat 1,000. It's expandable to 2,500, 50,000 uh, square feet, but expandable to 100,000 square feet within the shell that we built, 12 acres of land right on the freeway there in Austin. So it was a massive project. We had about 1,000 people. And uh, then when we, we also started 16 other churches in the Austin, Central Texas area. Uh, that were in, in effect when I was there, Daughter Works and former Daughter Works. So that's about another 1,000 people. So I can testify of about 2,000 people that I saw personally come to God in one form or another, starting from that meeting in our house. And I can give you story after story after story. Of course, here at Calvary Tabernacle, you could do the same thing. 
but how God has saved people from every walk of life. And I want to mention one. It was a young man from New York City. Now, if you happen to be from New York City, don't get offended, but New Yorkers are kind of known for being abrupt, to the point, no nonsense, this is the way it is. Especially for people in Texas, it's very different. You know, in Texas, we say, well, let's think about maybe doing such and such. And the New Yorker says, okay, yeah, one day we'll think about it. No, I want you to do it. Whereas the New Yorkers would say, I want you to do it. And anyway, so this young man was a rock and roll concert promoter. He was a professional guitarist who fronted for U2, if you ever heard of that ancient group. And, uh, but he settled down in Austin, got married, became a concrete a contractor, and quick uh, succession, he became a millionaire, had a beautiful home, um, cars, motorcycle, boat, airplane. He just had everything. Well, we were building our first building. I served as the general contractor, even though no, I didn't know anything about contracting, but it was the only way we could afford to get started. So here I am trying to learn what to do. I desperately need subcontractors who know what they're doing, who will do a good job, who will be honest, and who will give me a reasonable price. So we found Tony, and he did a good job for us. He poured the concrete. So our men started talking to him about the Lord. He wasn't interested. He said, I'm agnostic. He told me later, he got mad at God for some reason, so he, he shook his fist in the sky and said, God, if you're up there, just kill me right now. Well, God didn't kill him, so he figured, I guess there is no God, because Tony figured, if I was God, I would kill me, so, so there must not be a God. That's the way it is. So our men trying to invite him to church, he didn't care. He wasn't interested. No. So four years later, we're building phase two. We need a concrete guy. So we try to find Tony. Well, in the meantime, his business had gone bankrupt. He had lost everything. He lost his home, cars, boat, motorcycle, airplane. He and his wife were getting a divorce. He couldn't sleep at night. He was taking pills and only sleeping an hour or two at night. He was mentally, physically depleted, taking drugs by his own testimony. I'm not telling you anything he hasn't publicly testified to. He was hooked on alcohol, drugs. His life was a complete mess, and he needed a job. So we hired him as a foreman, and he started working on the job. Well, our men started talking to him about the Lord. And this time, he listened. They said, Tony, if you want to be healed, you need God. If you want to be delivered from alcohol and drugs, you need God. If you want to get your wife back, you need God. If you want to be blessed and rebuild your business or rebuild your career, you need God. So one day I'm sitting in my office. One of our men comes over from the job site next to us and says, Pastor, Tony's over here on the job repenting of his sins. He wants to get baptized in Jesus' name. Praise God. So we took a break from work. We baptized him in the name of Jesus Christ right then. So then I said, now, Tony, you need the Holy Ghost. You need to sign up for men's conference. Everybody that goes to men's conference receives the Holy Ghost without fail. So he signed up for men's conference. He went. Went to every service. Came to the front. Prayed. Didn't get the Holy Ghost. Last service ended Saturday morning. Came up front. Prayed. Didn't get the Holy Ghost. They're headed back to the motel. He says, you know, he's from New York. I thought you told me I'd receive the Holy Ghost. They said, Tony, we haven't checked out of the room yet. We're going to go back to the room. 
we're going to have a prayer meeting, and we're not going to check out until you receive the Holy Ghost. Tony received the Holy Ghost. What I'm telling you is God is faithful to save. Maybe they're an atheist. Maybe they're agnostic. Maybe they're Muslim. Maybe they're Buddhist. I personally baptized Buddhists in Jesus' name. I personally laid hands on Muslims and watched them receive the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. I've seen Catholics saved. I've seen Protestants saved. I've even seen people raised Pentecostal get saved. Even Pentecostals can be changed by the power of God. Because God is faithful to save. That's what he does. There's hope for somebody here today. There's hope for your friends, your coworkers. Just live a godly life. Share your testimony. Invite them to church. Leave the results to God. Don't assume they're too rich or too high or too low or too addicted or too unchristian or too secular or too atheist. Just live a godly life. Let them feel the presence of God. Pray for them. You never know. For God's point of view, he can save anybody. That's just the kind of God he is. He's faithful to save. Let me hasten on. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Another verse of scripture about the faithfulness of God. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 gives us another wonderful promise of God's word. It says that... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want you to notice something here. This is not written, this letter is written to the church, not to sinners. But it says, if we confess our sins. Now, I have a shocking statement to make. And if you're new to the Lord or to the church, I hope this doesn't disturb your faith. I hope this doesn't cause a crisis in your life. But if it does, well, my wife and I are leaving early in the morning, but Pastor Carson will stay here. And you're going to make an appointment with him, and he'll straighten everything out. He'll explain everything. You know, as part of my job as general superintendent, I go around just checking on everybody and making sure they're fully employed. So... Just giving him some extra business. But here's the shocking statement. Sometimes Christians sin. Now, it's not supposed to happen. If you read in 1 John, if you keep reading a little bit more, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, I write these things that you sin not. So we're supposed to live a holy life. And we can live a holy life. You say, well, that's impossible. No, here's how we do it. Like the psalmist says, get up in the morning and pray. Say, Lord, let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And you just try to live for God one day. Just say, for one day, I'm going to trust the grace of God. For one day, I'm going to use the power of the Holy Ghost. So when temptation comes that one day, you can say, well, I can resist that. And so you can live a holy life for that one day. Well, then just do that every day. And you will live a holy life. However, let's be honest. All of us have failed at some time or another, even after coming to the Lord, right? Now, I received the Holy Ghost at age seven. So since that time, I never killed anybody. I never robbed a bank. You know, I've never committed some notorious sin that would get me in the newspaper. But could I say I've never sinned? 
even after being saved? When you think about sin can be your attitude, your heart, you don't even realize you've got hatred, bitterness, jealousy, envy, rebellion, strife, un unthankfulness. You may not even realize it until the preacher's preaching and then God convicts you. Sin could be your speech. It could be things you should have done you didn't do that God asked you to do, as well as doing things you shouldn't do. So all of us have found ourselves in that situation. And when that happens, the devil would like to beat us up. Say, you're a sinner. You're a hypocrite. You're a failure. You can't live for God. Just give up. And if you, you keep coming to church, he says, you can't make it. Church is too strict anyway. Just quit. But if you keep coming, he'll say, well, you can't be a soul winner. You can't be a prayer warrior. You can't be a praise singer. You can't be a minister. You can't do anything because you're a failure. You're a hypocrite. Now, if we're living in sin, we ought to feel guilty because the guilt motivates us to repent. But if we recognize what we've done wrong and we go to God in prayer, we need to accept forgiveness. You say, I still feel bad. Well, did you go to God and confess your sins? Well, then his word says he is faithful. That means it's not what you think or feel. It's what God has said. God will keep his word. Don't go by what other people say. Don't go by what the devil says. Don't go by what your feelings say. Go by what God says. He is faithful not only to save you in the beginning, but God is faithful to restore. God is faithful to restore. That means whether it's a sin of the moment and you immediately realize it and say, oh God, forgive me. I don't want to live that way. Please forgive me. God will forgive you. You can restart the day and finish the day in holiness. Or if you've drifted for weeks or months and you wake up, God draws you. Or maybe you walked out on God for years, lived an openly sinful lifestyle for years. I want you to know when you come back to God, you'll find God is still where he was when you left him. God still loves, God still cares, God still forgives. God will restore you. I want you to know it's not a matter of whether you're worthy because nobody's worthy, but Jesus has made us worthy by his blood. It's a matter of the faithfulness of God. Somebody needs to hear me today. There's some family member. There's some friend. There's someone who's dropped out of church over the years. I want you to know there's hope for you. There's hope for your family. There's hope for your friend. Don't stop praying. Don't stop loving. Don't stop reaching because God is faithful to restore. He'll do it every time. That's the kind of God he is. God is faithful to restore. I told you about Tony. He's addicted. You can be saved in one day. But getting rid of old habits and learning new habits, learning to walk in holiness, that can take some time, right? That's why we've got to be patient with converts, loving, speak the truth, but in love. It's not our job to try to straighten them all out. Let the Word of God do that, the Spirit of God, the example of the believer, the counsel of the pastor. Let all those things work together. You don't have to inject and try to straighten somebody out. You've got to disciple them. 
And so it was with Tony. There were several men of our church that made a commitment to him. We're going to contact you every single day. We're going to pray for you every single day. If you're struggling with a temptation or an addiction and you can't seem to overcome it, you call us anytime, day or night. We'll pray with you over the phone. If we need to come wherever you are at any time, day or night, we'll come over and we'll pray with you until you get through it. So they did that for about one year. Sure enough, in that year, Tony failed. He messed up. He felt so embarrassed and ashamed, he stopped coming to church. He wouldn't answer or return my calls, my emails. I typed a letter, mailed it to him, he didn't answer. In the meantime, I will say his wife had come into church. Their marriage had been restored. She was Jehovah's Witness and had several stepfathers, a very disruptive life, but she got baptized. She received the Holy Ghost. So she kept coming to church even when Tony dropped out. So one day, one more Sunday, he wasn't there. I just felt so disturbed in my spirit. I talked to his wife, made sure he was home. That afternoon, I went over to his house, knocked on the door, invited myself in, sat on the couch, and I started talking to him. I said, Tony, you failed, but God didn't fail. You fell down, but God didn't fall down. You, God did a miracle of deliverance, but you're letting that miracle slip through your fingers. I said, I need you to come to church tonight. Everybody at church loves you. Nobody's standing in judgment. Everybody's just missing you. Everybody welcomes you. You'll, you'll find everybody just accepts you right back. And it was the, the week before Easter, so we're doing a drama. I said, we're just having a drama anyway. He told me later, okay, what could that hurt? Just a drama. So he promised to come. He did come. And, of course, you know the rest of the story. Tony was gloriously renewed in the Holy Ghost that night. <laughs> Praise God. That was 2001. God blessed Tony with more than one business since then. Blessed him with houses, motorcycle, airplane, shares in a helicopter. It's really nice, Brother Carson. Every once in a while, whenever I'd be in the area, he'd, he'd say, hey, if it's an hour, two, three, you know, Louisiana, Mississippi, wherever, I'll just fly you over. So one day I'm preaching, gonna preach a little country church about two and a half, three hours drive. One of the pastors out of our church and uh, I said, Tony, can you get me there faster than me driving? He said, sure. Let's go in the helicopter. So we fly about 30 minutes, land in the field next to the church. I get out, preach, have dinner on the ground, come back, get it back in the helicopter, take off, and go home. This is pretty nice. Half the town was watching us take off. So God has blessed him tremendously. And he happens to be an ordained minister of the United Pentecostal Church International. 20 years later. God is faithful to restore. One more verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this. It says, there, hath no, there is no temptation that has taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Notice that word. God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. And with the temptation, he'll make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, I have a second shocking confession. Sometimes Christians have trials. 
Now, I know if you're new in the church, probably the person that brought you here didn't want you to know that because your friend probably told you this is the best life ever. It's joy unspeakable, full of glory. It gets better and better. God is great. He's wonderful. He's awesome. All that is true, but we usually don't say, and, you know, you're going to have trials. But, you know, don't blame God. It's not just Christians that have trials. Did you know unsaved people get in car wrecks? Unsaved people go to the hospital? Unsaved people have their loved ones to die? Unsaved people go through divorce? It's not because you're a Christian. It's because you're a human. As long as you are in this world, you will have trials. We do not have a glorified body yet. God did not promise to exempt us from all trials. But instead, he promised to give us grace during the trial. The Apostle Paul surely had faith. He prayed three times for a trial to be removed, 2 Corinthians 12. God didn't remove the trial. But here's what God said. My grace is sufficient. So here's the promise. If you're going through a trial, God will give you grace during that trial. And then at the right time, God will deliver you out of that trial. If you're going through a trial, that's proof that you can get out of it. Because God would have never let it come your way if he didn't know there was a way to go through it and get out of it. You say, I can't see a way. Well, God can make a way where there is no way. God is faithful to sustain and deliver. So if, if something hits you, you get prayer and immediately God answers, well, that's a miracle and we give a testimony. But if God allows you to go through that trial for some days, weeks, months, years, what if you die? Well, you still haven't lost because you wake up with the answer. If you live for God, you're going to win. If you die in the faith, you're going to win. You can't lose. Whatever time you have to go through it, God will sustain you by his grace and then God will deliver you out of that trial and you will have a testimony of victory. What I'm saying is God is faithful to sustain and deliver. You might say, well, Brother Bernard, you don't know what I'm going through. You've never been in my situation. You're probably right. But I'm 64 years old. I've got a few testimonies of my own. But I'm not really preaching my testimony. I'm preaching the word of God. The word of God says God is faithful. That means he keeps his word. You count on it. You depend on it. You hold on to it. When you don't know what else to do, keep doing what you know to do. In time of trial, keep praying, keep believing, keep coming to church, keep worshiping. When you when you're in deepest trouble, sometimes people get offended or they get frustrated and they quit coming to church. But in time of trouble, don't run away from the church. Run to the church. Don't run away from the pastor. Run to the pastor. Don't run away from God. Run to God because God has the answer. I could give you many testimonies, but I'm thinking of one. I'm not even going to mention the name of the country. I've been there for years before I became general superintendent and even after. But it's a country which, which is officially closed. We have many countries like that where we have to work underground in home churches or online. We have to be very careful and discreet because in some cases it's Muslim rule. In other cases it's communist rule. And so we have to be very careful. 
But we have thousands of believers that meet under those circumstances. This one country, I don't have time to tell you if you're interested, I wrote a little book called To the End of the Earth, talking about some of my mission stories. And so I, I talk about how we had to meet secretly and how we had to be very discreet. I had a seminar for leaders, and we'd post uh, lookouts to make sure if any stranger would come. Um, the, the, in one meeting, I was teaching, and so they told me, if you see the girl in the back of the room playing the tambourine, that means somebody's coming uh, that to the door that we don't know. And sure enough, you know, here I'm teaching away, all of a sudden the tambourine. Well, that's my cue to sit down, hide my Bible, duck my head, try to be as inconspicuous as possible as the only white person in the whole room full of Asian people. And uh, they jump up with a music seminar, and by the time the person walks through the door, they're in a full-blown secular music training seminar. So this is the kind of environment. Well, in one of those meetings, there are leaders from all over the country, mostly young adults, some of them single men, women. These are uh, educated people, in many cases professionals. Some have careers, doctors, teach, school teachers, government officials, and they're risking everything by coming to secret meetings like this. They could be arrested, they could be fined, they could lose their job, kicked out of school. So they're taking a lot of risks. And these are, these are leaders, so they, they're over house churches. One young woman, about 30 years of age, she was the overseer of 50 house churches in her city. And uh, she was going under the radar because they didn't think she would be that kind of person, you know. And so they requested prayer of me as their leader at the end. And I'm thinking, well, they're going to pray, you know, God deliver us, God protect us, you know, God encourage us. How would you feel if every time you went to church you were in danger of being arrested? And you thought you were doing the will of God. You thought you were called to preach the gospel or lead a, a house group and then all this is happening. That's not fear. It could be a trial of faith. It could be cause of bitterness or anxiety, frustration. But I'm sure they battled those feelings, but that wasn't their prayer request. They wanted me to lay hands on every one of them for two things. Number one, give us discernment to know who to talk to. We're going to witness, but we just can't witness to the wrong person. And then the second thing, give us power. Because in our country, just talking to people is not going to convert them. We're going to have to pray for them and see a miracle, see a healing, see a deliverance. Somebody feel the presence of God. So pray that we'll have the gifts of the Spirit in operation. That when we witness to people, when we pray for people, it won't be just going through the motions, but the power of God will fall. That humbled me to think. These people in most dire circumstances... We're not asking for selfish things, which would be quite understandable, but they're asking for power to witness. And I thought, that's the grace of God. If you were in that situation, could you stay saved or would you backslide? We might say, man, I couldn't make it. But let me tell you, if you ever have to go through such a situation, the grace of God will be there. Now, you may not be facing that, but you might be facing something in your family on your job. In our secular society, there's a lot of pressure on anybody who believes the Christian faith. You could face all kinds of persecution or ostracism or difficulty or trial, but I'm just here to tell you, whatever you're having to go through, God is faithful to sustain and deliver. Let's stand right now.